0: Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on Effective Teaching Strategies.
1: Well, hello everybody and welcome. So I am super excited to be presenting to you today on behalf of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. And today we are going to talk about Generation Z, here they come. Scoot that a little bit. So we're going to talk about facilitating success with the newest generation of medical learners. If you've not met me before, my name is Jen Middleton and I do faculty development for Ohio Health. I'm also a family physician at uh, Riverside with the residency program there. So what are we going to do in the next eh, 45 minutes or so together? And this is a prototypical general Zer, so I'd like for you to keep that image in your mind as we move forward. We're going to talk about the social forces that have shaped Generation Z. We're going to define a few words that you may or may not be familiar with, so fidgetal, hypercustom, and FOMO. We're going to talk about the typical work orientation of Generation Z. It is different than the Millennials that they're often contrasted with. And then lastly, we're going to brainstorm strategies for working successfully with Generation Z learners. So it's important to point out at the outset that we're going to be talking in big, broad, sweeping generalizations here today. So my goal is not to pigeonhole or stereotype a a generation, there are certainly individuals within every generation, but we are going to talk in generalities in terms of what things might be useful, what trends might be useful for us to know as those who are interacting with Generation Z as medical teachers. So let's talk about the social forces that have shaped Generation Z. So first let's a little definition. And depending on which think tank you look at, sometimes the generations, years are a little different. But most of the time, boomers are 46 to 64. Most of the time, Xers, that's me, 65 to 80. Millennials 81 to 94. And the Zers usually 95 to about 2012. So when we look at the U.S. population by generation, this is U.S. census data from 2016, Generation Z was actually the largest generation in the U.S. already then, so they were a big generation. Um, The baby boomers used to be bigger, but the upper end of the baby boomers are starting to pass on and age out a little bit. Um, Generation X, my generation, never going to be the dominant generation force and we're a little sad and bitter about that in Generation X. We were never big enough to be a dominant force. The baby boomers dominated everything, and then the millennials came and they dominated everything, and we've just kind of been sliding along. But we influenced how Generation Z was raised, so we had some influence. You'll see 8.3% still alive uh, in 2016. There's a silent generation and a traditionalist, so that's 1928 to 1945. This little tiny gray sliver of the greatest generation, uh, 1927 and before. And then those who were born since 2015, the post-generation Z generation, right now tentatively being called Generation Alpha, but way too early to know for sure if that's going to stick. But that's who my kids will be. But it's not like a switch flips magically, you know, at the end of one year and the beginning of the next year with a generation. You know, well, December 31st, 1994, you're a millennial. And January 1st, you know, 1995, you're a Gen Z. There's this transition period that happens, and the years that are kind of on the edges, we talk about the Bridgers. So the Millennials into the Generation Z Bridgers. And the oldest members of Generation Z are in medical school right now, but these guys, the Bridge, Millennial, Gen Z generation, are in residency right now. And as somebody who's been in residency education for over a decade, I see it coming. I see what's coming with Generation Z already in terms of how things have changed with this generation. So what are the social forces that shape Generation Z? Unfortunately, most of them are rooted in fear. This is a generation that has grown up in really scary times, um, in much more unstable times than generations preceding. The oldest members of Generation Z maybe remember a little bit about 9-11. They would have been in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, elementary school. For most of them, this is just how the world has always been, this unsafe place where at any moment things can change forever. Many of them watched their parents, their ex-parents, struggle through the recession in 2008, and they came away from that with the realization that there's no such thing as a secure job or a secure income or that I can guarantee that my company is going to provide my retirement for me in a few years. They have seen the effects of climate change and of how damaging and life altering severe storms can be. And unfortunately school shootings and gun violence are normative to them. Many of them have grown up in schools where they do safety drills for active shooter training. So this is what their environment has been, what they have grown up in, this world that they perceive, rightfully so in some ways, as being unstable, not secure, there's no guarantees of safety or stability. As a consequence, when you look at the Differences contrasting millennials and Generation Z, and a lot of different things, you see this play out. So, media, millennials, fantasy, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you're talking about being at Universal Studios, all right? All these fantasy worlds were big with millennials. Generation Z, Hunger Games, Handmaid's Tale, okay? These dystopian universes where people still persevere. They're not a generation without hope, they just are more realistic about what's around them. How do they like to communicate? Millennials still like to do text messaging. Gen Zers will text their older family members, but when they're communicating with each other, it's Instagram or Snapchat, it's images. This is the first generation that's really been very image heavy in terms of how they communicate and think and engage with information. Millennials are very optimistic. Their boomer parents raised them that way. You know, you can do anything you want to be. Everybody gets a trophy. You're awesome. Not bad things, but Gen Z's, Gen Xer's parents said, you gotta work hard for it, and even if you work hard, there's no guarantees. So Gen Z is a very pragmatic and realistic generation. Along the same lines, millennials are waiting to be discovered, I'm awesome, somebody's going to find me, and I'm going to have this great career. Gen Z is, I gotta work hard for success, there's no guarantees, I gotta prove myself, they're very competitive generation, very ambitious. Millennials have been talked about a lot as engaging in this prolonged adolescence so you know in the last several years I can think of several of our residents in our program who had family in the Columbus area they lived at home during residency that was very weird in the Gen X generation um, and in prior generations but very normative for Millennials who had very close relationships with their parents and took advantage of the opportunity of those relationships it's hard to blame them but Gen Z, on the flip side, has been observed to have this what we call up-aging phenomenon. You know, one of my colleagues has a daughter in uh, late elementary school, who Gen Zer, who told her, "Well, I can't spend all of my Christmas money allotment on my friends. I should put some of it away for college." <laughs> Sorry. She has, a, she has one parent who's a physician and one parent who is a prominent businessman. Um, But she she can't count on anything. She's got to start saving. So this idea, teens, I have to have a job. I have to get some experience. I have to build my CV. I got to start putting some money away. The total opposite of this prolonged adolescence. And Millennials and Gen Z both like flexibility. Millennials are like, yay, give me variety, everything's cool. Gen Z is like, I like flexibility, but I want stability. This is a really important theme. Gen Z craves stability, security, safety, because they did not experience that growing up. Gen Z is also the most ethnically diverse generation. They haven't yet tipped it. The next generation will, but it's 49% non-white in Generation Z. The next generation, that will flip, and whites will become the minority in the United States. So they are a very inclusive generation. They believe in everybody getting a fair shake. They believe in equity. They want to work for places that demonstrate this value. 59% have a close friend who identifies as LGBTQ+. That's unheard of in previous generations. So they're very tolerant, they're very welcoming, and they want to work and be at places that have that same value. They watch a lot of video. I have vetted this by some Generation Zers I know, and they tell me it is accurate. Generation Z watches an average of 68 videos a day. The average is, we'll talk about in a little bit, over three hours a day on YouTube. So this is YouTube. A lot of this is Snapchat, really quick little videos that they're using to communicate with each other. Maybe a little bit on Facebook, short YouTube videos, stories on Instagram. They consume their information visually, not with words. So, let's break into a couple of small groups. We kind of have about the division for maybe two and take a couple minutes and on page two of your handout you'll find some prompts but now that you are Generation Z experts let's take a couple of minutes and brainstorm together and then we'll come back to the group how do you think these traits and influences are going to affect Generation Z as medical learners and workers so I'll give you about five minutes to think about that, and then we'll come back as a big group and kind of pass the mic between the groups and share some ideas. All right, can we come back as a group? Yeah. So let's pass the mic around, our groups. Um, and I'm curious to hear your ideas. Let's share with each other what y'all talked about. So how is this going to affect working with Generation Z as learners and medical workers?
2: Well, <coughs> we understand that there may be a potentially decrease attention span, given that mm-hmm. they look at many videos throughout the day. And so breaking up data is important. Um, that's one piece. Okay, i
0: okay.
3: Yeah, we were saying that um, there's probably more on-the-spot, real-time learning. Like, you'll be sitting there talking about a topic, and instead of, let's look it up and talk about it tomorrow, it'll be, let's YouTube it and see what we can find right now.
1: Any other thoughts?
4: We just talked also about how education is going to have to change from lecture-based to smaller pieces of education, more video-based interaction. Um, You you can't get away with just standing up and talking at a group anymore.
1: Oh no, I agree with you and you know when we've talked about this you know at Riverside and specifically within Family Medicine you know we we pride ourselves in offering a lot of interactive didactic content for our learners but it's probably not interactive enough and it's probably not as we're about to talk about customizable enough, which is something else that this generation expects. Another one of the things that we've observed is that um, you know, with, our, with our bridgers who are coming in right now, their competitiveness and their concern about being seen as incorrect or answering a question wrong is on a whole nother level compared you know, to millennials and Xers before them. They really just want everything to kind of be pitch perfect before they jump in. So that's been interesting. So, do you see less interaction? Yes. Because they're afraid to speak up? Yes, we see that, and they are. Millennials are famous for being great at working in teams. Um, Gen Z will work in teams if they have to. They're pragmatic, um, but they would much rather do it on their own and be able to say, "I did this" and stamp it on the CV and, "Hey, look at how awesome I am because I did it." So, they're very competitive. We talked about
4: fear too. Mm-hmm. If fear, it could become a demotivator we didn't quite understand if fear is a useful tool because you in years past and when i was doing my residency fear was how they motivated us Mm -hmm. if you don't do this this way you're at risk of not passing and is that something that is not helpful for this generation Mm -hmm. they're already scared enough
1: yep I mean we already have years of data in medical education showing that brains that are flooded with cortisol because you've terrified your learners, either because they're afraid they're going to hurt a patient or you're pimping them to death or whatever it is, do not retain information well. So we have years of that data. All the things I have taught in faculty development over the last decade about emotional safety in teaching appear to be completely inadequate for this generation, as far as I can tell. They are so concerned about putting their best face forward. And we'll talk in a little bit about being, they are super curators of their brand and who they are. And they they don't want to look like they've made a misstep. So I I think it's going to be a whole new ball game for us with this generation, I really do.
0: And yeah, you spoke over here
1: about email. Do you want to comment about email? Sure, Dr. Ferris. Yeah. So we have had increasing difficulty with getting our residents to respond to email. Uh, over the last you know, year or two. It's just not their preferred or normative form of communication in a lot of ways. So there's unfortunately for most you know, health systems and organizations, email is still a predominant way to communicate. So how do we bridge that gap? I think is a problem that we're going to have to engage with our Generation z on to try to look for some useful compromises there. <laughs> well, I will tell you, when we have information that we want all of our residents to see, you don't text the individual resident you put it out in the group text. So they have a group text with all 18 of them that they are on. And if there's something we need them to know, if you put it there, they'll see it there. We, we know they'll get it that way. That's unfortunately not the most efficient way to transmit larger volumes of information. So sometimes the group text is, for the love of God, look at your email, for more information.
0: But is the issue not transmitting large amounts of information mm-hmm. through any of these vehicles? Right. we've got a lot of people who like to write long emails mm-hmm. and as far as I'm concerned I read the first two or three lines and I'm, I'm a baby boomer um, I don't even like it yep. I think most of the baby boomers don't like long emails either
1: this is a generation that is used to absorbing information in small pieces and you're exactly right you know when you think about attention span when I was a fellow 10 years ago I was taught we well, have 10 minutes that you can interact with your audience without expecting interaction from them, and they will, and you can keep their attention. If you go past 10 minutes and you don't engage your audience, they're gone. Well, with millennials, that number is like three to four minutes. It's not been studied with Gen Z yet, but it's going to be shorter, I think. You have to engage them and make them feel involved almost from the get-go, I think. Um, they're, they're not going to be content with reading long emails or just sitting passively you know, watching presentations anymore, I think. video to the text message there you go (laughs) or an image so you know the journal that I work for we do that already a lot of our social media content we post practically nothing without an image attached to it because again this is a generation that wants images so there is some text but there's always some sort of relevant image that we attach to all of our Twitter and Facebook posts and there is talk of our journal expanding on Instagram and there are other journals on there already Oh, pass Mike. With with the emphasis being on images and
5: not so much words, I I can only imagine the the vocabulary and like the, the the word choices and things like that will also diminish. How do you foresee communication amongst each other with patients and I don't know how how would we have to sort of you know. Train them to, to use words. You can't communicate with pictures. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah,
1: there's a whole other language to being in medicine, right? You know, f- my husband, who is also in medicine, when the two of us have a conversation around non medical family members, they look at us like we're talking another language, and we are. So how do you transmit that language? I think it's not going to be through textbooks. I agree with you. Hopefully, it's and medical schools are starting to do this, it's going to be around increased exposure earlier in medical school and learning that language the same way you would any other foreign language, being surrounded by context and engaging with it, is what I think. But these are only speculations. Time will tell. We've not really had the chance to study much you know, related to medical education yet in this generation. Well, those are excellent thoughts. You guys are definitely thinking down the right track here. Let me give you a couple more definitions to reinforce some of the things that we've talked about. So let's talk about this idea of digital. So Generation Zers, unlike those of us who are a little bit older, do not distinguish between their physical presence in life and their digital presence in life. They are one and the same. Why? because millennials like to say that they're social media natives, but they're not. Millennials were young when social media was born, but Gen Zers are social media natives. My my daughter knew how to unlock our phones at 18 months of age. You know, they are, this is the world, this is normative to them to communicate in this way. So the marketers have figured out Generation Z is a big generation they have a lot of buying power either themselves or through their parents so this is how marketers get trained how to interact with Generation Z so you impress them with your project product your brand on social media they walk into the store where they hopefully have some kind of cool experience with the product and they kind of okay I'm really interested in this they buy or if they're younger Gen Zers they convince their parents to buy and this is a key step they snapchat, they tweet they post on Instagram something about their experience with the product and if it's positive, guess what? all of their peers see it and the cycle starts up again so this idea that there's this different world between what I buy physically and how I think about it and how I interact with my peers and what I say about it digitally is separate it's all the same thing Mark Zuckerberg wrote in 2012 that social media would lead to the empowerment of people. He recently admitted how social media can pressure users to present a super curated persona online. And Generation Z is the master of super curated, fidgetal personas. So as we were talking about a few minutes ago, they don't want to make a mistake in front of their teachers. And they also want their social media to look perfect. They have learned from millennials and Xers who put pictures of their beer bong parties in college on Facebook and then had to take them down when they applied to medical school. They don't put any of that stuff on Facebook. If they want to put that on anywhere, they put it on Snapchat, poof, it disappears. And there's no digital trace of it, okay? They're very savvy about creating what they want to create online. And why? Because this is what they want. They want that thumbs up, that like, that love, Okay? They want this you know, adoration and affection from their peers. Hypercustom, our next definition. The ability to individualize all content consumed. Okay? From day one, Generation Z consumers, they don't just have to buy a Coke you seen these freestyle machines right a hundred plus drink choices drink something different you make it your own right you want to put cherry in your coat go for it you want a vanilla lemonade we can do that for you sneakers why are you gonna buy sneakers that look like everybody else's sneakers make your own okay you can customize your tongue color the outside your laces heck you're working on curating your social media brand don't use the same font everybody else is using on Instagram make your own font so it stands out and it looks special just for you how do you think this is going to play into medical education streaming music Okay, green is generation Z yellow or orange is millennials Okay, why would I listen to Pandora, which chooses the songs I'm going to listen to, when I could do Spotify and customize it exactly the way I want it to be? Pandora, it only survives now because of Xers and Boomers. Okay, millennials and especially Gen Z, they, are, they want to be able to be in control of customizing how it goes. Let's go back to this idea of visuals. So YouTube. YouTube is the number one preferred learning method. Dark blue Gen Z, purple millennials. 59% of Generation Z think YouTube is their preferred learning method. Preferred. YouTube has contributed to their education. 55% of Generation Z. When a Zer doesn't know how to do something, they don't open a textbook and they don't go to a manual. They don't even look for the manual online. They go to YouTube. Last but not least, FOMO, fear of missing out. Millennials joked about this, but Gen Zers live it, and they live it intensely. If I take this job, what if something better comes up? Why wasn't I invited to that dinner that was on Snapchat or Instagram that all my friends are at? Why didn't I get there? Am I having enough fun? Everybody else is having fun. Maybe I should be having more fun. Is everyone hanging out without me? I can see where everybody is all the time on Instagram or Snapchat. This is a real deal, and unlike millennials who thought about FOMO as being, gosh, I hope there's nothing cool I'm missing out on, this is intensely real for Generation Z. Remember, they live in this unstable, scary world. They do not want to miss opportunities, and they do not want to feel socially isolated. And a lot of, again, digital world. A lot of their social interaction is online. So what they're seeing online is what they're perceiving as being their interaction. So here's a uh, anonymous Gen Zer. Social media provides unrealistic representations of other people's lives. The fact that everybody puts the best part of their lives online, they learn from Millennials and Xers, they're not putting the ugly stuff online, makes you think these people are always having fun. So how does Generation Z use social media? They use Facebook to keep up with their older relatives. And I I will say they use Facebook for one other thing too, and that's to creep companies that they're interested in either making a major purchase from or working for. So the idea that you don't need a Facebook page anymore as a health system or a corporation or organization is not true, because Generation Z will look to your Facebook page to see if your values align with theirs. Instagram, kind of think about Instagram as the Facebook for Gen Z. So that's pretty wide sharing. pictures for the most part, but it's kind of sharing pictures um, with each other. The Gen Zers who are on Twitter use it as a place um, more to follow than to engage. So they kind of will do a lot of creeping on Twitter where they're going to follow folks that they trust for digital content. Snapchat is where you share kind of silly personal private stuff with one person or a small group and the benefit of snapchat is no digital signature right you send your picture and it's gone so on page four if you can find somebody who identifies as a member of your generation but even if not just take a minute or two and those of you watching take a minute or two and just kinda think about how do you stay up to date with your friends and family where do you get your news from how do you like to listen to music my husband was broken-hearted when our new car did not have a cd player in that gen z would think that's hilarious um how do you watch tv movies and video so i'll give you a minute or two to kind of think about that um on your own or with somebody nearby of your generation and then we'll we'll talk about it All right, let's bring it back together here. Can we pass the mic? If you're willing to share, please start, especially for the benefit of our virtual audience, with sharing what generation you identify with, and then if you're willing to share the answers to these four questions. I'm
5: a millennial. (laughs) Um, So how I communicate with my friends and family through texting, um, like messenger apps, uh, Snapchat, and then with my parents, I talk on the phone because that's all how they that's all they know. Um, I use my Facebook page for some news and some apps on my phone. Um, I use YouTube and Spotify for my music, and mainly YouTube for my shows and videos. Cool. Thank you. I'm
3: sorry. I'm like. Amazed this. Um, we are. Um, I would consider myself a Gen Xer, I think. Um, so we communicate with phone calls and text. Um, get my news right now through Twitter, I would say. Um, for music, I listen to Amazon Music and their radio. Um, and for TVs, movies, and videos, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. And I had no idea you could watch videos on YouTube.
4: TV shows. You
3: knew they could do videos. Oh, yeah, TV shows. Sorry. My
4: my answers were very similar, um, except the one difference I had is I, I still use CDs every now and then. I'm Gen X, um, and, so, and I actually still do some DVDs. I was bummed when you couldn't just go to the store and rent DVDs anymore when they all shut down. Um, yeah.
1: Cool. Thank you. you want to weigh in, Dr. Ferris? Sure.
0: So you might have guessed I'm a baby boomer, um, an early baby boomer, uh, relatively speaking. So how do I communicate with family and friends? Well, it's very interesting. Family, it's by phone or watching what they're doing on Facebook Uh, because I see them there, Uh, but with sort of younger folks, I'm pretty busy on Facebook, but particularly WhatsApp. People have even said I'm a WhatsApp addict, Um, and I love face-to-face, obviously. Um, people know that about me how do i get my news interesting I, mostly through my smartphone it's occasionally i watch tv show but i look for the news pop-ups uh, or friends tell me something and then i go searching for it How do I listen to music um well yes i do have a cd collection but it's interesting it's now in my itunes most of my cd collection but i'm actually on spotify and i listen to spotify every day in my car now. And how do I watch TV? Well, I don't watch much TV, but I like to go to the cinema and I really like going to the live theater.
1: So one of the things, you know, having given this workshop in a few different places now, I have observed that maybe you observed, is that we kind of had more in common with each other than we had different, even across, you know, several, you know, three different generations in here. And when I've given this presentation in a room with Generation Zers, it still holds true. There's a lot of commonalities. You know, the idea that boomers and Xers aren't taking advantage of things like Spotify and, and Netflix, you know, to engage is is not true. So we actually have a lot in common with each other with a lot of these modalities. So let's talk about let's zoom in on the work orientation of generation Z now. So seven personality traits that define generation Z. Well, no surprise, they're very pragmatic. So 60% want a long career with one company. Dramatic change from millennials and Xers who have been who jump all over the place. I mean I'm on my third job, you know, at 42 years old after finishing fellowship. So that that's been normative for a long time. These guys want stability. They want stability. They don't want the uncertainty of moving around. We've mentioned before they are competitive. And almost half of them not only say yes I'm competitive, they say I'm very competitive. Connected. Interestingly, 78% want face-to-face communication with work and with their boss. The older members of Generation Z are starting to see some of the pitfalls of being so engaged online to the exclusion of other relationships. And they recognize, very pragmatically and competitively, that if they want to succeed, they need to be willing to engage with their managers and their supervisors in a more face-to-face, you know, real-life way. Socially responsible. This is huge, especially, I think, as we think about recruiting into medicine and into our residency and fellowship programs. 93% say that a company's impact on society affects their decision to work there. They have grown up in this scary, uncertain world. They want it to be better. And they want it to be in a world that is inclusive, intolerant, and accepting of everybody, and is environmentally responsible they are really mad at us for climate change BTW really mad they want to turn that around they like to customize no surprise there half would rather get a job than create one but that means half would rather create a job than just step into one 44 percent check in on social media at least hourly even during the school day, even at work. i verified this with several of my Generation Z contacts. Even though 77% say personal relationships with coworkers are important, they would rather do it themselves at their own pace given the chance. So unlike Millennials who are very team-oriented, Generation Z would rather do it themselves given the opportunity. How's that going to work in the world of medicine and team-based care? So 56% would rather write their own job description, 40% say working Wi-Fi, more important than bathrooms,
0: 60, (laughs) uh huh I was waiting for it,
1: okay, priorities people, and again, 61% want to stay at a company for at least 10 years. We just hired two of our third-year residents to join our faculty next year. And they, again, Bridgers, they are ecstatic because they like working for Ohio Health and they like knowing they're going to be in the place that is familiar with them and they know everything is. And they have both expressed to all of us that they hope they can stay for a very long time. It's not how it used to be. Top work motivators, 70% money or pay not because they want to be billionaires because they want stability okay they do not want to live through what they saw their ex or parents live through forty six percent though want the ability to pursue their passion if they can't do it at work they will find another way to do it so if the best-paying job isn't gonna let them pursue their passion okay I'll find another way to pursue my passion so sweetie how was school today you can read all about it on my blog dad And it's probably not a blog that's just there, it's probably a blog that is generating some income through advertisements and other things. So a multitasking generation that wants to do meaningful work equals having a side hustle. So you have a job, but you might have a side hustle. Zers did not invent the side hustle. In fact, if you look across generations, there's a pretty significant minority in all generations, even going back to Boomers, who have a side hustle, another smaller job that they engage in, not because they have to, but because they want to. But Gen Zers own it. This is a real magazine called Teen Boss. Check out the dollar signs. Okay, yes how to build your brand by being you using the super curated digital presence to sell you and your brand and you're not going to wait till you get out of school to start your brand and to make your money up aging you're going to do it as a teenager get some job experience get some money put it away from college don't spend it all on christmas presents and be a teen boss a lot of our medical student applicants that are coming to us if we ask them they have a side hustle they have something they're doing how is that going to play with residency how's that going to play with fellowship so on page five of your handout what of these work attributes really resonated with you really made you think really made you wonder Just take a second and jot down what those were. And then we're a small group. If it's okay after you jot them down, maybe we'll just pass the mic if you're willing to share. If you're not, just pass the mic right along um, and share what the the biggest ones were for you. And when you guys are ready, let's start the mic moving.
2: So for me... I think money and pay resonated, but for the reason of security mm-hmm. um, I think that resonates with me personally as well, but it's interesting to see that in this gener generation where you see a lot of um, examples of instant gratification, thumbs mm-hmm. up likes, etc on social media so
5: thank you I think the uh customizing Resonated with me. Um, I think everything's becoming, well, how, you know, trying to be different and, and being unique. Um, I think that's something that uh, it's a little different than, mm-hmm. than, you know, personally and culturally for me. And um, a lot of the Asian, I guess, countries, and for me personally in Japan, it's all about how do you fit in, not how do you stand out. Sure. So it's a very different approach.
1: Thank you.
3: Yeah, I, um, I worked on customizing for a different reason, because I thought it was concerning just for medical education, because it's really hard to customize a medical education for each person, um, especially when you have so many residents. So just and from a medical education standpoint, that, that was concerning to me, and then I, I resonated myself with... That competitive because I was I was always taught growing up to work harder than everyone else, do more than everyone else. That was kind of my how I lived, and so I I feel that like I understand that.
1: That's a very prototypical Gen X response, and and that's where that came from. A lot of the Zers who grew up with Gen Xers as parents.
3: So I'm so happy about people being socially responsible. That just that makes me so glad. Um, the thing I don't really understand is the competitiveness. Like I just I don't. I don't get that. I mean, it struck me, but in, like, an uncomfortable way. Like
2: yeah.
4: What struck me was the connected versus plugged. Like, it seems like two different things. So connected, they want face-to-face communication, yet they're on social media hourly, if not more than hourly. And so how how do you balance that with wanting face-to-face communication, but yet they want videos and pictures too? And so... Getting all of that in real time, not something planned mm-hmm. out, could be hard, um, hard to do. And I was also happy to see about wanting the the long career, um, because if you contrast them with the generation before them, most of them, you kind of feel them being unsettled, and mm-hmm. you're just wondering, well, if I hire them, how long are they to stay before sure. they find the next, sure. before they find the next opportunity that they want to go do, and so... I, I liked the, that they want a long career in one place.
1: I think you guys are identifying some tensions, you know, in this generation between the, you know, digital connection and the face-to-face. Between the I want to save the world, but I want the gold ribbon, and I'm very competitive, you know, about taking care of myself. I think those are very realistic. Anything you want to add, Dr. Ferris?
0: Well, I'm- are we? Be- it's a question. I mean, the social responsibility struck up for me and the desire to pursue passion at the same time wanting stability, there's a contrast there. Mm -hmm. Maybe, or is it actually uh, in the face of security, uh, actually, if given the right environment, the outputs could be amazing Mm -hmm. because they actually pursue passion. And it's the don't put people in a box, allow them to be creative um, yeah. but, but I was going back to the comment about the contrast between uh, face-to-face versus social media. Is it that people you hinted at are beginning to realize that too much social media actually doesn't get you what you want yep. uh, because it locks you into a virtual world that is actually an unreal world where everybody's always happy? You've said that, and at the same time, the reality is it's actually the face-to-face stuff that works and leads to real progress, Yep. and I'm getting tired of being in this social media world. Are we beginning to see some burnout on social media? It's a question. I yes,
1: don't know. so the, the most recent social media data I've seen, especially, again, this is older generations' years. Younger generations' years are still in that teenage, oh my gosh, I have to prove myself to my peers that all generations have lived through. But the older years are starting to be fatigued um, by maintaining the social media presence, and we have data now. And you may have heard some of this uh, data or seen it. Maybe saw it instead on your phone, you know, news app that you know, spending a lot of time on social media actually correlates with worse moods and with increased incidence of depression and anxiety. So it, it's starting to be clear that there needs to be some boundaries. There's nothing inherently bad with connecting digitally, and there's a lot of good things that can come out of it, but it, it's got to be balanced, I think, is, is a message the older years are starting to resonate with. I would agree with that. Thank you. Well, wrapping up, we have a few minutes left as a group, hopefully, to brainstorm some strategies for working successfully. So you're, you're Generation Z experts now. How can we work successfully with them? How can we prepare thoughtfully? Um, I would say prepare for their arrivals. They have already arrived, in the sense of medical students, at least. But what 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 bright ideas can we come up with together? So on page six, I invite you to take a minute or two to jot down your personal responses to each of these questions, and then hopefully as a group we can spend our final couple of minutes together having a conversation about what might some strategies be um, that we can use together, what ideas can we learn from each other, and can you walk out of here with one action that you can commit to preparing for Generation Z. So you, you have chosen voluntarily or involuntarily to spend this hour with us. Let's make it something maximally productive so that you can walk out, hopefully, with some action step to do to learn more or to prepare. So I'll give you a minute to jot down a couple of your just initial responses to each of these four questions on your handout. And then let's have a conversation as a group to wrap things up. And I'm also happy to take questions when we get to that stage. All right, well, let's share some ideas then.
4: So, I think the big challenge that I wrote down was overcoming their fear. So, mm-hmm. getting, getting them to interact and, and overcoming that fear of being the one that's wrong um, or fear of the one that doesn't do it as good as the person next to them. Um, and also, that wanting to do things alone could potentially be a challenge if, mm-hmm. if they don't want to work as a team when when a lot of what we do is team-based. So that that could be hard to get over that. Um, and then I'll just say one action that I want to commit to would be to, be, to make, when I present, to be more interactive. I think mm-hmm. that's something that I could work on personally.
1: It's not the model that is traditionally taught or observed in medical education, right? If you think about how many hours Of your educational career were spent in a true lecture style format where someone regurgitated information at you and you were expected to take it and move. That's a format that most of us in medicine are still maximally comfortable with. And I agree. I think I'm going to have no shortage of work as a faculty development person in the next few years, you know, showing that there's lots of other far more interactive ways to do things. So I, I agree with you.
3: So I worry about this generation being able to kind of connect with and really to um, sort of, like, you know, their elderly or geriatric population, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, like, always on their phone. Like, that population might find that to be rude or offensive. Um, so, and I, I like your idea of trying to encourage some stabilities to help them, you know, sort of reduce the, the mm-hmm. fears and... I don't know how to reduce the FOMO, but <laughs> it seems like that would be my goal. Yeah, so for challenges, um, other challenges that you may see is just the problem with holding their attention. Mm-hmm. And um, I think for medical education is those missed pockets of information, because sometimes you have to spend, you know, enough time on one topic to get to fully grasp sure. the situation. And, fully grasp the pathophysiology, and you're going to miss that if you're only paying attention for a couple minutes. Um, For commitment to preparing, I think just in education, obviously be more interactive, like Jessica said, but also to try to be more visual, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think I'm very good at, so I'm going to work on that.
5: I think very similarly, I think the challenge I saw was that, you know, what I was taught And how to retain medical information, like through reading a textbook, might not necessarily, you know, work with the next or the Generation Z. So, you know, you know, reading a Harrison's or chapters in Harrison's is not going to to fly. Um, So I think, you know, it's something that I would like to, to to try to commit to prepare is, you know, watching more YouTube videos or mm-hmm. other medias that are more visual, more interactive, um, so that they can retain that information. Um, from an opportunity standpoint, though, I think because they're so digitally connected to peers, I think they have, um, one individual can have a, a large influence or an impact on a larger scale. So uh, if they post something on Snapchat or Instagram, I mean, it it's hundreds and potentially mm-hmm. thousands of people that see that instantly. So that's a it's a pretty big um, population or, or a force that you can potentially, you know, take to your advantage.
2: <clears throat> I think um, it's important to understand that teaching is not a one size fits all. And I think that extends across all generations, but um, more specifically in Generation Z, I mean, things of reduced attention span or being more inclined to social media or technology or digital media, you have to be flexible um, and employ some of those different ways of teaching, whether that's using more digital media, allowing for some personal study time, so they can do it at their own pace, Mm -hmm. allowing for some teamwork as well, showing that this is also another way, just really being aware of that.
1: I will transport the microphone.
0: and are we seeing an emphasis here on sort of attention or what you actually said was the time frame in which you have to grab them, Mm -hmm. which is short, and that's actually real in all of you. How many of you pay attention to any one presentation for more than seven to ten minutes, and you don't drift away and start to think about something else? Now, tell me the truth. Because I bet you all have drifted away several times to think about something else during Jennifer's talk. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So are they just emphasizing for us what is a reality that baby boomers, particularly as lecturers, have just totally ignored? Plus the reality is are we actually dealing with the integration of live theater mm-hmm. and the live aspect of life rather than static? So again, the talk from the podium never worked. It actually never worked. No. The data is really quite clear. Yeah. What they're doing is pushing us in that direction. So you know, conversation we had was we've actually had it today, was even our teaching, which is now being captured in video bites or videos, does it need to turn into video bites, Uh, where we do a single concept in a short video and we purposely build it and we integrate more images. Uh, Do we need to be in more? We do that as fellow group. We have a group chat on WhatsApp. Uh, Do we need to be doing that more? Is that the vehicle? And again, our chat Uh, back to uh, Twitter only allows us, what, 120 characters? Does it need to be that short? And that's the way we begin to communicate. Are those things we need to do more regularly? At the same time, I was thinking about the stable workplace and the the customization, um, this sense of Coming into, for example, even our own group, you have stability. If you come into the group, if you choose to stay, at the same time there's the opportunity for flexibility and customization. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get stuck in the same spot. You don't have to be doing the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. So is that going to work for them uh, to respond? Will they find that very attractive? Is that what you're saying to us? I think As so. To millennials, what, what we've heard and seen is, oh, they come for a little while, then they move on. Mm-hmm. We've had that experience even in the hospice palliative medicine group. Sure. People have come for a short period of time and they moved on. We've, we've got faculty that's just done just that. Sure. And there's no stability in them. Uh, whereas this group you're saying would be stable for us. That's fascinating. Okay, I think those are the. Well, I was also wondering if. Uh, the five practices of exemplary leaders. The fifth practice is encourage the heart, that we really need to integrate that into what we do. I agree. So it's the finding the positive and learning to give very effective feedback uh, so that people understand that they did a good job and show them how they can grow. Yep. And so if they can incorporate the growth, we give them feedback about how they just grew.
1: Yeah, I think that's critical and one of the things we've talked a lot just within family medicine is you know we have a bunch of PGY1's that right now are doing a great job but if you ask them individually how they're doing they will all say oh, I, I am behind where I should be you know they have almost unrealistic expectations of themselves in terms of what they should be able to do at this stage of their training you know barely six months into residency Oh, I think I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. Nah, no, I wouldn't expect that till the end of second year, actually. So for us, we've been trying to be a lot more transparent in terms of what our expectations are at various stages to reinforce, yes, you are. we're giving you feedback that you are on track and we're content with where you are and here's the next things to do to grow. And let me tell you, that never happened with millennials. Um, you know, being completely freaked out about that. You know, again, millennials very positive and optimistic, and I know I'm doing a great job, and I all this great self-esteem, which is a good thing. Um, but boy, it's it's not there with uh, Gen Z. It's very different. gonna bring the mic over here. Thank you,
5: Dr. Ferris. just out of curiosity, though, do you think that because of how competitive they are? that those milestones of this is where you should be or where I expect you to be is that going to sort of you know tap into people's competitiveness and be like well you know this this is where all my colleagues are supposed to be I want to be better I want to be like 10 points you know ahead of them I'm just curious
1: if if that is something that you've seen or experienced I definitely see that in our intern group as well I mean I think for all generations Coming to medical school for most of us is a bit of a humbling act, you know, you get to medical school or whatever stage of your training is and you got there by being at the tippity top of your class and being awesome and doing all this stuff, then you get to medical school and everybody's like that. And all of a sudden for the first time in your life you're average compared to all of your peers. That's, that is tough I think for all generations, but Generation Z, oh man. I mean, I look at the residency applications that we have, you know, for this year coming into family medicine at Riverside, and these guys are going out of their way to show, here's my 200 hours of volunteer experience in medical school. What? Where did they find the time to do that? I can't even imagine having had time to do that in medical school. Um, So they are going out of their way to show, look, yes, you know, okay, I was a 50 percenter, you know, in all of my test scores. But here's all the other awesome things I did, by the way. So, oh, yeah, I totally see it. I totally see it. The cool thing is, is that they're doing all of that stuff, usually not just to tick a box and say, yeah, I volunteered, but they do a good job at least of aligning that with whatever their passion is so that they feel like they're doing something to kind of help the world at the same time as they're being super competitive and padding their CV. So they're pretty—they're pretty efficient generation in that respect. I respect it. Any other questions or comments? Well, I thank you all very much for being here and being engaged today in the conversation. I think it's a conversation that we'll continue to have you know, over the next few years as Generation Z full force arrives into our residencies and our fellowships. And I look forward to being part of that conversation with you. And thanks to all the folks watching online.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content, make sure you are subscribing to PCIC podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PALMED, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.